My wife and I actually took our last kid to college last Sunday, and we officially became empty nesters. It happened so fast. I mean, like, we packed up the CRV, we drove up to Duluth, we unpacked the CRV, we met the roommate and his family, we went to Target and Home Depot, we came back, we took him and dropped him off at a meeting, and then we hugged him and took off for home. It was like that. And all of a sudden, we're empty nesters. He has a picture of him in his room. And I was just like, my wife asked me, how are you feeling? I asked her how she's feeling. And she said, you know, numb. And I said, you know, kind of like Eli told us on the way up, like, I don't know how I'm feeling. I mean, I'm excited for him. I'm a little sad. I'm thankful. I'm nervous about what's coming. I don't really know. There's just all this stuff. And I know, like... We're supposed to be celebrating. We've got some friends who are ahead of us, and they tell us all these things to look forward to about being empty nesters. But as we're driving home, and as, and as we got home, I, we talked about it. It's like, you know, I think maybe we just need a second to maybe grieve a little bit. This, this past life, 25 years of raising kids together. And then we probably need to find some way to celebrate it, right? To have a celebration of that life. So I was sitting there uh, on Monday morning, get up, sitting at my desk, ready to start working on vision teaching, and I was feeling a lot more weary than visionary, and the phone rings, and it's one of my lifelong friends, Kevin, and he doesn't say hello, he doesn't say how are you, he simply says, so what's it like? (laughs) And he's seen my wife post on Instagram about us dropping Eli off. And I told him what I told you. I said, I don't know. I mean, I've got all this whole mixture of emotions. He goes, you know, he goes, that's what I thought. He goes, when I saw that post, I started thinking about my own girls and how little time I have left with them in the home and how they're becoming more and more independent all the time. And he goes, I started to kind of grieve already. And he goes, I just thought I should call and check in on you. And it was such a life-giving conversation. I mean, it was really helpful. I don't know if it was, you know, uh, just being able to have a friend who sees you and kind of thinks about you and call in that moment, but it got me unstuck. When I got off the phone, I was like ready to get to work and, and get back at it. So I don't know if it was that, just that he saw me, or if it was the fact that at the end of the conversation, he mentioned that he has tickets to the Steelers at Green Bay game October 3rd, <laughs> and I have no obligations with my kids that day. <laughs> I just know I felt better after the call. (laughs) Friends are a really big deal, though. Like, I need meaningful connections in my life. People who know me deeply and who see me, kind of relationships that help me get unstuck and that can lift me up and can even transform me. I think, in fact, I think we all need this now more than ever. Some of you have just been through the toughest year of your lives. We've just experienced like this collective trauma that's affecting every one of us differently. Some of us are like, let's go already. Let's get moving. And others of us are just weary. We're like uncertain about what this new school year is actually going to bring for our kids, for our families. We're uneasy, right? We're, we're, We're anxious about moving forward. Some of us are grieving. Like me, some of you buried a family member or a close friend in the last few months or year, and maybe you didn't even get to say goodbye. 
some of you are just lonely. In fact, before the pandemic, like surveys showed that almost half of Americans said that they, uh, they are alone sometimes or always, that that's their experience. It's gotten so bad for young people that universities like USC and California, they actually created a staff position of a, for a director of belonging just to help students who are dealing with loneliness before they drop out or it turns into mental health issues. And speaking of mental health issues, I mean, these have increased along with substance abuse and alcohol consumption over the last year. Some of us have found ourselves addicted to unhealthy behaviors as a way to cope with all of the stress. Need I go on? I mean, there's more, right? It's, it's, some of you experience incredible challenges in your families. A Gallup poll showed that one in four of us adults actually lost a friend, a good friend, last November because we disagreed about a political candidate. Some people lost entire friend groups. Some people's families were completely divided and deeply wounded by these political issues or social issues or mask mandates. And churches weren't immune to any of this. The church hasn't exactly felt like a safe place to be for a lot of people in the last year. It's felt like the world's been pulling us apart or we're pulling ourselves apart. And I wonder what Jesus would have to say about his church. Now more than ever, the church, which is us, those of us here in this room, those of us in Grundy Center and Waverly, those of us watching online, those people who are following Jesus, we are the church. And the church needs to be about coming together and connecting with each other and developing relationships that can help us move forward and get stuck and lift us up and transform us. And when the church is that kind of place, I think it's one of the greatest blessings that we can give to our broken world and to our own broken souls as well. Paul encountered Jesus, and he started churches to do just that, to bring people together, to help other people encounter and follow Jesus so that they could become a blessing to their neighbors. And in one of the letters, somebody needs to come up and kill this fly. Man, I need a connection with a fly swatter. Now Paul, so he starts these churches, right, to build these kinds of communities to change the world. And then he writes a letter to one of these early churches, words that he might well be writing to us today. So I want you to listen to these words that he writes to the church in Corinth. He says, listen, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death, to death for Jesus' sake. One more. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Doesn't that sound like something he would write to us today? Like, hey, Orchard Hill Church, I see you. I'm with you. Right? We have been hard-pressed on every side by COVID. We, we have been uh, perplexed by political issues and social issues. And we've been struck down by culture wars. 
that aren't even ours to fight. But guess what? We're still here. God is with us. We haven't been crushed. We're not in despair. We are not abandoned. We are not destroyed. We do not need to fear because God is with us. Because God continues to bring us abundant life. In fact, Paul suggests right, that, that these challenges that we're experiencing, that God actually wants to use them for something big. Paul says Jesus' followers are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus may also be revealed. So that his life may be also revealed in us, in our bodies. He says it twice. He reminds us that trials and suffering are part of life. And he encourages us that in these moments, God is at his best. That it's in our weakness, we experience God's strength. It's in our suffering that we experience God's mercy. It's when we're struck down or when we're stuck that God rescues us. Paul says these times we're living through right now, these are God's specialty. Times like this. Our mission isn't to rescue ourselves or make all the mess and discomfort go away. It's to live in such a way that in the midst of it, the resurrection power and life of Jesus is revealed in our lives and flows through us in ways that help others encounter Jesus. Our mission is to live with such joy and peace, to be kind, to be patient, to be gentle, to exhibit self-control even when things are hard or people are hostile or things are uncertain or scary. Our mission is, is to keep our eyes not on the struggles and the hardships we're going through, but on the things that we can't see, like God's presence with us, God's spirit of love and power at work inside of us. I don't know about you, but I can't do that on my own. I need help keeping my eyes fixed on what is not seen. I need people who will help me find joy and peace when things get hard. I need people with strong faith around me for the times that my faith is weak or small. I need the church. I need you you all, right, to encourage me and love me and remind me of God's goodness, to be joyful and lift me up. That's the kind of stuff that fills my life with the power and life of Jesus. Paul actually casts a little vision for how we go about forming relationships like this, these life-giving relationships with God and others. And it's kind of a clunky part of his letter, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes before it. And so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit for you. And when you, when you read this, I want you to know this is my, my paraphrase of Paul's words, and it's found in the third chapter of 2 Corinthians. I would encourage you to go read it for yourself. But this is, this is what he says. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And when we come together to contemplate the Lord's glory we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory 
Therefore, since God does this for us through his mercy, we have this ministry to do the same for others. And as we do, we do not lose heart. Paul's saying Jesus came and revealed who God is. And when he died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, he freed us from our need to fulfill the law. He freed us from our need to pay for how we've broken God's law. He freed us to enter into a relationship with him without shame, without guilt, without fear, to to invite his spirit into our lives, the spirit that brings freedom. And when we come together in that spirit of freedom to contemplate this, to remember what God's done for us, to remember that in his spirit and through his spirit, he is always working with us and for us. When we do this together and then reflect that same goodness and love, God's goodness actually grows. His glory in us grows. And there's no limit, no limit to how much God's goodness can grow in us. Paul says doing this is is life-giving. It's energy. It's energizing. It's what keeps us going. It keeps us from becoming discouraged. And he says, this is our ministry. This is what we're to do. I think Paul's essentially saying the greatest blessing we can offer a broken world is becoming a community of people filled with God's goodness and becoming more like Jesus. The greatest blessing we can offer our broken world is to be growing in our capacity for God's goodness, becoming more like Jesus. So in the time we have left, I I just want to suggest three potential next steps that you could take that might help you become more like Jesus than help Orchard Hill become this kind of community. One would be to commit to being with us regularly on Sunday mornings. Two, join a ministry team and help us reflect this goodness in our church and our community. Three would be to map out your community to see what is actually helping increase your capacity for God's goodness, what's helping transform you, what might be getting in the way of this, what might be missing. First, commit to being with us regularly on Sunday mornings, whether that's in person, online, wherever you are. Be with us regularly to come together and remember and think and sing about how good God is. This is a vital part of staying inspired. It is essential for experiencing the life and becoming the kind of community and the kind of people that God desires us to be. It's one way that God reminds us of what he's doing, of who he is, of who we are. It's one way he reminds us, right, that that while he is working and desiring to help us become our best selves, he loves us completely just as we are. And there's incredible freedom in that. Freedom from guilt or shame or from pressure to perform or be perfect. When we are reminded of that, it's like, I can breathe a little easier. And I can go to others and help them breathe a little easier. Share God's grace with others. They can pursue God's best for them. I had the privilege of uh, serving at Rocky Mountain High with my family a couple weeks ago. 
1,400 students, uh, 150 leaders or something like that, a bunch of volunteers all gathered in the Rocky Mountains at Estes Park to be reminded of who God is and what God is doing. Great place to go to do that. And uh, third night there is about 100 students who, who stand up and they accept this invitation to like do life with Jesus, this, to receive his spirit of power and freedom. Then we sing, you know, in the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom, there is freedom. And watch, watch as this one guy goes up, not only rushes the stage, but they get on the stage with the singers. And they're jumping up and down. And I'm thinking that stage is going to collapse. And that 2,200-pound LED wall behind him is going to fall right over on somebody. But I'm up there jumping at the front of the stage with him. You know, it's just like the spirit, it's just like this just compulsion to just move, like all of this release of this constraint had just been lifted and people were ready to celebrate. And I'd forgotten how much I need that. I'd forgotten how much I missed that kind of an encounter with Jesus and his spirit. All summer long, we've had people coming back to Orchard Hill Church for the first time in over a year. We've had new people walking in our doors. Now, they're not rushing the stage, they're not jumping on the stage, but after service, when I talk to them, every one of them says the same thing. I've forgotten how much I missed this. I've forgotten how much I need this encounter with Jesus and his spirit in my life. Do you want to increase your capacity for God's goodness? Do you want to increase your capacity for more joy and more freedom? I think meeting on Sunday mornings together to observe and consider God's goodness is a great place to start, to make that a regular part of your routine. I think it fuels us, and it's vital to our mission. It helps us, right, become the greatest blessing that the world can offer, that we can offer to the broken world, right, to become people filled with God's goodness and becoming more like Jesus. We are better when we do this together. That's the first step. Some of you need to take the second step. Maybe it's time to go beyond showing up regularly on Sunday mornings to join a ministry team to help us reflect God's goodness. Paul says we all have a ministry to receive and to reflect God's goodness, to do both of these things. And I believe that when we serve together, our hearts grow, our capacity for God's goodness actually increases. I got to see my son, Eli, uh, not only show up at Rocky Mountain High, but, but serve that week. He was the same age as a lot of the people, a lot of the students who were enjoying that week uh, of the conference. And I watched him get up at four in the morning and climb the 12,700-foot summit, Hallett's Peak, as he led hikers up that trail, led other students up that trail. He did that three times in four days. He gets his good looks and his talent from his mom. He gets his endurance and his never-say-die attitude from his dad. But he was dragging a little bit on the second day, and he had blisters all over his feet, and he hauls himself out of bed, and he leads that 
group up the mountain, and I thought for sure he's going to come back, and he's just going to be toast, and he's going to need a nap, he's going to be done. But he comes back, and he's super excited, and he can't stop talking about this group that he led, this, this college soccer coach who was amazing, and this group of high school girls that he led to the top of that mountain, and it was just this great experience. And then that night, the coach comes and hunts me down at the session, midst of all those, all those students worshiping, to tell me what an amazing guide Eli was, that he had water for them, and he encouraged them, and he wouldn't let them quit. And then without Eli, they never would have gotten up that mountain. And then they actually wrote a note to share with a large group that basically said, Eli was the hands and feet of Jesus to us. Eli took another step, and he went and served. And it brought life not only to that group, but I saw it bring life to him, to fill him with and it, what it did to his dad right? I'm up here telling you, I'm testifying about it, right? Because it brought me life. See, when we serve Jesus together, our capacity for experiencing God's goodness increases. And we start to look more like Jesus. We start to look more like his hands and feet and others encounter his love and his kindness and his power. I see some people drinking coffee this morning, how many of you are enjoying that little bit of goodness, right? Goodness God created. You know why you're enjoying that? Because Barbie Bass and her team of volunteers stepped up to provide that service for us, that we can enjoy that on Sunday mornings. There's people doing it on Waverly's campus and on Grundy Center's campus. And you could be part of bringing that goodness, increasing the capacity for that goodness of God here on Sunday mornings in our service. I see this happening all over our church People stepping in to serve, people like Jeff Burris. The blessing that's happening as, as the capacity for God's goodness is increasing through Habitat for Humanity and home ownership. I see it in people like Kelly Alderts out in Grundy Center. He makes our sound and our production happen out there every Sunday morning. And I got to tell you, when I first started going out to Grundy Center, Kelly scared me a little bit. Get your hand off the mute button, Kelly. I'm telling the truth here. Because as I've gotten to know him, like, he's this beautiful man, this incredible servant heart, and God has increased his capacity for, for his goodness. And Kelly, I got to tell you, you are increasing our capacity to experience God's goodness, especially in Grundy County. Thank you. I see that in Alex Webke and, and Travis Duncan and Waverly. I see this in all of our music volunteers who are leading us in worship this morning and our interns like Amanda and Lindsay and Callie and Blake and Kelsey, right, who help us to remember and reflect on and, and join in worship of this God who increases our capacity for his goodness. Some of you are ready for a next step to jump in and join a ministry team. It accomplishes so much. Like, it's a place where you're going to be seen and you're going to be known. And you're going to be, people are going to be thrilled to see you. And you're going to get to use your gifts and people are going to appreciate and, uh, the value that you add to their group. Yeah, it's where, this is where our differences with other people actually start to make less difference, right? We start to leave our differences behind. We start to find things that we have in common. We start to have oneness where real transformation can take place. Some of you need to take that next step. Not just the church needs you, 
But I believe you need the church in that way. So being here this regular on Sunday, joining a ministry team, finally, I think some of you need to map your community. What do I mean by that? I mean, some of you need to take an inventory of the groups of people you're connected with and ask yourself, how, are, how is this group helping me become more like Jesus? How is it increasing my capacity for God's goodness? What's missing? Where maybe I, do I need to add something or tweak something? Now, here's the deal. A lot of you know this. A lot of you know you have a need to belong in a faith community, and maybe you even love this idea, but when you start to think about the commitment and the energy that's going to be required to do this, ain't nobody got time for that, right? We're like, I hear you, but I don't think I have time for this. It was challenging before the pandemic, all the political and social unrest we've, we've experienced. I know that for me, I need people, but after being physically and socially distanced, like I kind of got used to being alone a little bit. It was kind of nice. But the problem is isolation comes at a cost, a high cost. A quick look at this list put together by uh, Andy Stanley and Bill Willett, Book Creating Community. Like we lose perspective on our own. Our circumstances look much different when we're on our own than when we're with other people. Right, we become more selfish. It's like our, our lives are ordered around all of our demands and, and what we need and our agendas. Our thinking and emotions become less stable. Our lows become lower. Our highs become higher. And pretty soon negative emotions start to impact our thought processes. In fact, our, th our thinking goes away and our emotions start to rule us. Our risk for poor health and death actually increases. Do you know you're three times more likely to die if you're not connected socially, you don't have meaningful relationships of any cause. That's why they say it's better to eat fried stick on a butter with friends than to eat kale alone. They say that, you know that? <laughs> Here's the deal though, because of the collective trauma we've been experiencing, we know we need a faith community now more than ever. But also because of the collective trauma we're experiencing, I also think some of us are more hesitant than ever. I've noticed in myself on days where I just have no energy, I'm distracted, I'm irritable. It's like the last thing I want is to be around people. And we all have different relational needs. I get that. Some of you are introverts and you're like, this sounds horrible to me. And some of you are extroverts and you already have so much community. The point is we're all wired to belong in community together, made in God's image, a God who desires relationship. And we need different kind of relationships. So I was talking with Dave Bartlett about this one day. We were walking, and I said, I'm pretty sure this is the vision, but Dave, I'm still stuck because I don't know what my next step is. I don't know how enthusiastic I am about more community or different community, or I don't know what it is. And Dave said, why don't you map your relationships? Why don't you take a look at what those relationships are that you have and how are they helping you increase God's capacity for goodness in your life and follow Jesus better? And so I did that, and I'm going to put this up on the screen, but I want you to know when I do this, this is not a model for community for anybody. This is not what community should look like for other people. Everybody's needs are different. This is simply the process I went through to help me understand where I may be needing some community or need to tweak some things to help increase God's capacity in my life, to help myself be able to follow Jesus and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus better. So it begins with my family and intimacy, right? It's where I'm most deeply known and loved and where I'm challenged 
to love people unconditionally like Jesus loves me. I have this lunch group, this lifelong friends, because I have a need for other men in my life to know me and to see me and to talk with me when I'm struggling with things and relationships and stuff like that who understand my perspective. I mean, these guys are, they're my ride till I die group, right? 24-7, I need anything, they're there. I've got this Bible study group that I meet with on Fridays that help me engage the Bible. I know I can read it on my own, but you know what? They offer different perspectives that help me see God in different ways and help me see myself in different ways. And I believe that if we're gonna follow Jesus, if we're gonna be transformed in this type of community, we need this. We need other people who help us engage the Bible and, and learn more about who God is. I've got a buddy who asks me challenging questions that I've invited to speak truth and love to me on a regular basis. Dave Bartlett's my mentor and my coach. He celebrates my successes. He listens to my challenges and my concerns. He reminds me to look for God and how God is at work and he helps me actually to live with more sense of peace and hope and faith. Brian and Doug, senior leaders, like they're my leadership development cohort. Like we are learning how to lead a church together, right? And we're, we're, we're encouraging each other in that process. Mike, who's here this morning, my running buddy, my fitness partner, but also he's a leader outside the church who helps me know what leaders outside the church are experiencing in their leadership roles. And we challenge each other with different perspectives and we still like each other. Well, I think, I like him. I like you, Mike. Men's breakfast is a great opportunity to serve. Gives me a chance to meet new guys. I mean, these are different types of community where might, or that are helping to increase the capacity for God's goodness in my life. It might be helpful for you to map out your current situation and ask, how are the communities I belong to helping me follow and be transformed by Jesus? How is community increasing my capacity for God's goodness? This is the last thing I want to say. We're not only healthier when we're in community, we're happier. You know, study after study shows that the one thing that distinguishes uh, quite happy people from less happy people isn't money, isn't your, how attractive you are, isn't your job. Your, it's whether or not you have meaningful connections and relationships. The greatest blessing we can offer our broken world is to be a community filled with God's goodness and becoming more like Jesus. Jesus says it this way. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What step do you need to take to be more filled with God's goodness? to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, if, uh, if we're gonna accomplish the mission you've given this church, which is to help next generations encounter and follow you, to become a blessing to our broken world, well, we're gonna have to know how to belong in communities that increase our capacity for your goodness, that help us to receive your love, to, to live in the freedom that you invite us to live in with you, to become our best selves, and then to be able to go out and reflect that same grace, that same goodness, that same glory to those around us, to become an encouragement to them, so that they can step into that freedom as well. 
Lord, as we sing and as we remember, I know one of the, one of the songs we're going to sing is this idea that, Lord, why should my heart be weary? Why should my soul be so downcast? Lord, help us to lift up our praise as we remember who you are and what you're doing so that we aren't downcast, so that our souls aren't weary, but so that we're energized to have more life and to share that life that's so desperately needed in our world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.